If you have a copy of the Word of God, we're going to be in two different places today. We're going to start in Acts chapter 6, and then we'll find ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So let's start in Acts chapter 6, and the title of today's message is Deacons, God's Leading Servants. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about serving and service. It can be maybe a derogatory term for some of us, thinking about someone who's lowly or maybe performing menial tasks. But the term uh, serve, being a servant is a term that's used favorably in the New Testament over and over and over again, because that was Jesus' heart. He came to serve. And that's the heart that He calls you and I to have as we interact with one another and as we minister to the body of Christ. And as, as we continue our study of 1 Timothy chapter 3, we saw last week the, the quali- qualifications of one of the offices in the church, that is the office of the elder or the overseer. And we looked at, at what kind of character that, that person was supposed to have. The other office that Paul brings up now is he turns the page and says, uh, likewise, deacons, and then he begins to explain what they're supposed to be like, is this rule, it's the Greek word diakonos. It simply means a servant, a minister. And most of the times when the word is used in the New Testament, it's just referring to general service. Christians who are loving and coming alongside of one another and, and giving of themselves in service to one another. But there is, a, there is this role, this office, this, this job, so to speak, in the church this group of people that works alongside of the elders, and they're called deacons. Their, their official title is a servant, a diakonos. In this word, we find a form of it, and I think that the genesis or the kernel of this role in Acts chapter 6. And so if you're following along in your notes, we, have the, we see here the biblical foundation of the deacon. And some of you know, if you know the book of Acts, that the church has been growing, that the gospel is spreading, people are putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and and the the church is just growing by leaps and bounds. Well, the leaders of the church at that point, the disciples, the apostles, ran into a problem. And we see this in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What happened was that as the church was growing, administrative tasks began to rise. And specifically here, as the, as the Jewish Christians were handing out daily distributions to the widows, somehow or another, the Greek-speaking Jews... Uh, the widows from their midst were somehow being neglected in the daily distribution of food and the aid that was going to the widows. And so they, they complained to the, to the leaders of the, the new church here, this young church. And so verse 2 says, The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's the verb form of deacon, to serve, uh, uh, diakoneo, um, that, that we've got a task here to preach the word of God. And these other issues, these other tasks are taking us away from our first calling. So verse 3 goes on to say, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you Seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, 
whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And, when they, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase. Now, I don't know that we could officially call these guys the first deacons, but uh, because the, the term is not used to speak of them, but uh, th- this is definitely the beginning processes of what later formed into uh, an office called the deacon. The disciples, the apostles, their main job was to devote themselves to prayer and the proclamation of the Word of God. And they discovered that as the church grew, so did some of the daily tasks that were involved and were beginning to take their attention away from their first calling as preachers of the Word of God. And so they established other godly men who would kind of take the helm, so to speak, and begin to... um, begin to handle some of these day-to-day tasks. Not that they were unimportant, but they were different from the primary calling of what the leaders had been called to do. Namely, he says, uh, the Word of God and prayer. That was their first calling. And as leaders in God's church, pastors have to be very careful that other duties don't distract them from the first calling that God has laid upon their heart and their, their ministry, the proclamation of the Word of God. These deacons here, as we come to know them in 1 Timothy chapter 3, were not, uh, were not in place to be like a check and balances for the elders. This was not like the House and the Senate of the, of the government. Rather, they were to come alongside of the elders, the leaders of the church, so that they could help serve by taking on administrative and uh, physical duties that, that involve serving in the body of Christ. This does not mean that a pastor or an elder shouldn't be a servant, but rather these are men who are given the title servants and are called for that office. And as with elders, there are qualifications to being a deacon. And so number two, if you're filling out your outline, is the qualities of a deacon. The qualities of a deacon. Their character should be something that is honoring to God. If you saw there in the book of Acts chapter 6, the, the men that were chosen were men who were full of faith in the Holy Spirit. These were not just people who were available, like, hey, you, you don't look like you're doing anything Sunday mornings. Will you do this here? This was, uh, uh, as they looked around, they saw people who were pursuing God with their heart and their soul and their mind and strength. They were full of faith in the Holy Spirit. They're full of wisdom, the text says. And they, they, they chose from them men who were, who were qualified. And so, Letter A, and as we read verse 8, we see that the first thing is they need to be is morally upright. They need to be morally upright. Verse 8 tells us, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They need to be morally upright. The verse says that they need to be dignified. We saw a similar term, speaking of elders last week, that they need to be sober-minded. This term refers to someone uh, who has uh, is respect, who takes their walk with the Lord seriously. Uh, there is a time, as we said last week, there's a time to, 
be silly and and goofy, but we must recognize that as Christians, God has called us to a, a life that is frequently referred to in the New Testament as a battle, as a war, as a as a as an athletic contest where you're going all out. You're, you're all in to what God has called you as a Christian. You long to be faithful. You long to run your race well. You're not, you're not ready to fool about and, and, and fritter away your time and your energy and strength. A deacon is someone who, as the leaders look around, they see someone who is using their time and their money in their gifts for the Lord. This is someone who is passionate about their faith. They're dignified. The second thing it says in that verse is they're not double-tongued. The, the word literally, literally means to say something twice. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. It's someone who says one thing and does another. Um, NIV says sincere. Another translation says not hypocritical. This, there, there, there needs to be consistency in the word of the deacon. What they say is what they mean. What they mean is what they do. The qualified deacon needs to have a, a, a ability to be able to control his tongue, to not be involved in gossip. That's the other aspect of being double-tongued, to be able to, to keep confidence as church matters are being discussed. Um, I love what Will Rogers says. He needs to be the kind of man who's not afraid to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. <laughs> he needs to be the kind of man who's not afraid to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. The kind of person whose life is one that matches what he claims to believe. It also says not addicted to much wine. This is someone who is, his life is free from addictions, that alcohol and other substances are not being abused in, in his life, that he has self-control when it comes to these things. Not greedy for dishonest gain. It's very likely that deacons began to become responsible for the collection and distribution of funds in the church. And in many churches, that's, that's one of their roles. And, and so someone who is a deacon needs to be someone who's not constantly uh, in pursuit of financial things in a dishonest way. They need to be free from a burden of greed and that, that constant temptation. If you struggle with gaining money through illegal means, not only are you in sin, but you're not qualified to be a deacon. Uh, we, a deacon needs to be a person who's above reproach in financial matters. The deacon needs to be morally upright. But secondly, the deacon needs to be biblically sound. The deacon needs to be biblically sound. Verse 9 says, they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Just because the deacon does not have the, the teaching responsibilities that an elder or an overseer does, we saw last week, doesn't mean that he can be flippant about his approach to the Word of God. A deacon needs to be biblically rooted in the Scriptures. It says he must hold to the mystery of the faith. That word mystery is not meant to indicate that there's some hidden knowledge that deacons have that the rest of the church doesn't have, like there's a secret handshake or a secret knock that they're privy to, the rest of us aren't, or they're going through secret rites or ceremonies. Rather, the mystery is, is another, another way of Paul saying the gospel. The mystery of the faith is the gospel. 
You see, in the Old Testament, the foundations were laid and continued to be built as the, as the Old Testament history moved along to help us understand what God was going to do in saving His people. But even with all that the prophets revealed, even with all of the, the, the hidden things that were there in the text, it still was not fully understood to the people of God until Jesus came on the scene. And we even see in Jesus' time and in the subsequent chapters of Acts how people struggled with it, especially Jews who were expecting one thing from a Messiah, and they got a totally different thing, that God Himself, God Himself would be the one to come to earth to make a payment for our sins that, that baffled and boggled the mind of the Jewish people. To think that, that, that people were expecting a, a, a political rescuer, someone that would come and defeat all of God's enemies through a major war, vanquish all of his foes and set the people free. That's, that was their expectation. But the reality was that, that God was going to be born in this humble out-of-the-way podunk town to a family who was less than significant in, in the most humble of circumstances. And he was going to be raised, raised up and would, would come and, and serve people. He would do things like, like wash people's feet. And he would sit down and have a meal with, with people nobody else wanted to hang out with. And that man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, would go to the cross and rescue people in a way that few people thought they needed rescuing through dying on the cross as a payment for their sins and providing salvation for all who would trust Christ. That was the mystery of the gospel. And Paul was given charge to proclaim that mystery to explain, unfold the revelation of God to man in the coming of Jesus, in His work on the cross, in His subsequent resurrection. The deacon must hold to the mystery of the faith. He must not let go. That word hold just gives you the picture of holding firmly, digging your, your, your nails in. And not budging, not letting go of what the Word of God teaches. The deacon needs to be biblically sound. And he says you need to hold to that faith with a clear conscience. The deacon is someone who is willing to humbly repent, who is quick to make sure that their lives line up with what they believe. The deacon needs to be biblically sound. Thirdly, the deacon needs to be spiritually tested. Verse 10 says, let them... Also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. This was not some um, like uh, a open book quiz that deacons had to take to be able to qualify. If you score 75% or higher, you're in. There was not some gauntlet you had to run through. You didn't have to qualify an American Ninja Warrior or anything like that. This idea of testing was that you had been a Christian a while. We saw that last week with the elders. You weren't a new believer. You've been a Christian through a while. You've been through the fire. You've proved yourself faithful. 
The danger is having someone who's, who's a brand new baby Christian, and, and every church leader has done it. Every, every pastor has done this, where you see they're excited, they're all in, they're rare and ready to go, and you're like, hey, anything you want, come on. We, we're, we've been looking for warm bodies, and we're excited. We found one that moves, so let's go. And you throw them into the mix, and what happens? They're, well, sometimes it works out, but if you're not careful to make sure that they've been tested, oftentimes they'll burn out. Oftentimes, their immaturity will, will, will come to the forefront, and all of a sudden, they're in a leadership position, and you've got yourself some, an immature leader and, and really come against some problems. I don't know about you, but the kinds of people that have made the most impact on my life are, are the men and women that I have watched, and I watched this all growing up in church and even early on in ministry, and even today, really watching the men and women who have walked through the fire, who have been through literally the, the valleys of the shadow of death. They've, they've buried children. They've dealt with financial hardship. They've dealt with rejection for their faith. They, they've, they've dealt with chronic health problems their whole life. And they still, they, they walk in with joy they're the first to pray with you when you're struggling. You see them constantly with their Bibles, studying the Word of God, drawing close to Jesus. That's the kind of person that you want to put in leadership, not the untested person. I know I've shared with you before, but one of the, the most godly examples that I've, I've had a chance to witness was the missions pastor at my wife's church from California. And this was a man who was well beyond retirement age, and a lot of times when his peers had checked out and were living for themselves and spending all of their hard-earned money on, on uh, themselves and, and their own things, he was still plugging away in full-time ministry. Uh, he, had, he had a full-time position as a pastor at the church, was also president of the seminary, uh, still is. And I found out one time, and, and this was nothing that he told me, but I found out one time that he was living in a fifth wheel in his backyard. And I knew that he had a nice home, but I discovered that he'd had some family members who'd run into financial difficulties, and so they, he, they, he and his wife let them live in the home, and he and his wife uh, were living in a fifth wheel in the backyard so that they could serve. The, these are the kinds of people that, that you, we want to be on the lookout for, those who have a heart of service, those who have been tested, those, those people who have walked through trials and difficulties, and you set them forth as leaders, spiritually tested. And then number four, or letter D, faithfully leading at home. Verse 12 says, let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. This is almost identical to what it says about elders and what we said last week, that they need to be the kind of people who are, who are leading in their homes, leading the Word of God, being taught um, teaching their children, making sure that they're getting connected with the body of Christ, faithfully leading at home. I want to give just a brief footnote with regards to verse 11. There's a lot of, a lot of um, commentaries that really will, will hunker down in verse 11 to deal with what Paul is saying about the wives or the women in this situation. Because 
He comes to verse 11, right in the middle of these descriptions, uh, the, the qualifications for a deacon, and he says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And this leaves us as kind of a head-scratcher because uh, Paul did not give any qualifications for the wives of elders or overseers, but yet here he mentions qualifications for, at least my translation says, their wives. It seems like if he was going to give qualifications for deacons' wives, he would be giving qualifications for elders' wives since they're the spiritual leaders of the church. But here uh, we have this curious insertion of the qualities of, um, of, of the women who are brought up in this context. There are basically two viewpoints, and there are great expositors, pastors that I respect and love on both sides of this issue. One side will say that they are speaking of deacons' wives. And that since it's a service-minded role, oftentimes they'll be in this together, and it's important that their wives have certain qualifications as well. And I totally respect that approach, but I think that he's getting at something else here because of several nuances in the Greek language. And uh, here are the reasons why I think that Paul is not talking about deacons' wives, but he's talking about an office of a deaconess, that as, uh, as, as these gifted qualified people are helping come alongside the elders to serve. He's permitting both men and women to fulfill this role. While as elders, he stated, uh, in the leading and the teaching position needs to be a male role, he's calling both men and women who are qualified to step into this role of deacon or deaconess. And here's the reason why um, several of them. Uh, first of all, he uses the word likewise again. He just used that to transition from elder to deacon, and he uses the exact same Greek word in verse 11 now, I think, to make a linguistic transition to another group of people, that is the deaconess. Second reason I think it's probably a deaconess is that the word there, at least in my translation, verse 11, is not in the original language. In fact, the actual translation of the verse says, Women, likewise, must be dignified. There was no Greek word for deaconess. There was no feminine term in the Greek language at that time for deaconess. And so I think maybe what he's saying is, is, is he's transitioning to a, a different office here that is of a deaconess. And he says, they likewise need to meet these qualifications. They need to be dignified. Uh, they need to be not slanderers, not people who are backbiting, but sober-minded, faithful believers. The final reason I think he might be talking about deaconesses here is that I think we meet one in Romans 16, verse 1. And if you want to mark that or look at that later on, um, he mentions a, a woman by the name of Phoebe. And he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, or that same Greek word, a diakonos of the church at Centria. He could be talking about a a lady who is just faithfully serving there at the church. But the language indicates that he very well may be speaking about someone who is fulfilling that office, Phoebe, a diakonos, a deacon of the church at Centria. If you want to read and study more on that, there has been a great deal of ink spilled on the topic, and any commentary you pick up will we'll spend a bulk of time on that verse 11. But that's where I think, as I studied it out this week, I think what he's saying is that with regards to the role of a deacon, both men and women can serve in that role. It's not, a, it's not a teaching position, a position of authority like we saw with elders, but rather it's a service-minded role, and both men and women can work together to help support the work 
of the overseers and the elders of the church. Number three, just briefly here, we see the work of the deacon, the work of the deacon. And, and Paul only alludes to it just briefly from verse 13, because as you read these verses, it doesn't spell out exactly what a deacon should be doing. Like if you've got an office there, there, there should be a job along with it. And I think Paul is intentionally vague. I think Scripture is intentionally open so that the individual local churches can, can have the freedom to see what kind of roles that they want to assign to the deacon. It simply says they're servants. And in verse 13, it says, for those who serve well as deacons. That's, that's the only job description we gain from this passage. Acts 6 helps us out a little bit that we looked at. But other than that, I, I think that God is intentionally open. He's like, that role of a deacon, it should be given to people who are serving. What they're doing? Well, why don't you guys decide that yourselves? Are they going to handle the finances? Are they going to help set up and tear down for events? Are they going to help um, with regards to uh, visiting the, the widows and the sick? We're going to leave that in your hands. But whatever they need to do so that the elders of the church can devote themselves to the Word of God in prayer, let them do it. Whatever you can hand off to them, let them help carry that workload so that the elders can care for the spiritual needs of the congregation. The work of the deacon is to serve. And then finally in this passage, we see the reward of the deacon. The reward of the deacon. I love how verse 13 tells us that for those who serve well as deacons, they gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You know, when we seek to do something, um, we should, we all recognize we should do it in and of itself just for the, for the, for the joy, for the blessing that it is to, to others. Uh, we shouldn't stand before God and, and say, all right, I did that. You saw what I did, didn't you, God? All right, hook me up a little bit. Now, we kind of get that mentality sometimes, don't we? But that shouldn't be our heartbeat. I, uh, I was really grateful for um, my son Jaden this week as my wife and my oldest boy were out of, uh, out of state visiting family, and I needed some help with the younger boys. I had a couple of evening meetings and a couple things during the day, and he just was a huge help getting them around for school or helping uh, tuck them into bed and doing some chores without, without complaining. And uh, throughout the whole process, at least I don't remember this, Jaden, he didn't ever say, okay, Dad, you've asked a lot of me. You need to hook me up. That's what I would have done as a 14-year-old kid, but at no point did, uh, did he ever say, all right, enough's enough. You need to hook me up here, Dad. And uh, so one night after a, after a meeting here at the church, um, I called him, and you have to understand, I'm usually like Mr. Cheapo when it comes to um, going out to fast food. As if fast food's not cheap enough, um, I'm always Mr. Dollar Menu guy. And uh, I said, all right, um, I'll, I'll pick you up something, anything you want, dude, anything you want. And I, he was like, anything, really? Anything. It just did my heart good to be able to just say, thanks, bud, for what you've done. You've been faithful. And, and you know, God, God tells us all throughout Scripture that He rewards faithfulness. And it rewards way better than a Big Mac, I promise you. It, it's, it's eternal rewards. Oftentimes, the work of a deacon, the work of a servant, whether you have the title deacon or not, it goes unnoticed here on earth. 
People will pass by. We had folks in the kitchen doing dishes after Thanksgiving dinner, and no one's, knowing, no one's putting their face on a billboard, and, and they probably wouldn't want their name in lights. They're, they're serving faithfully. But here's the thing. God notices. God rewards. He says in verse 13 that if, if you serve well as a deacon, you gain a good standing for yourself and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You gain a good standing. I think he's talking about among other people, among other believers. You have a great reputation. But you also grow deeper in your confidence in your faith that is in Christ Jesus. You go deeper in your walk with God as you serve other people. Isn't that a great promise? We long to be holy, right? I mean, that should be the cry of every Christian is, I want to know you, God. I want a deeper relationship with you, God. He says, serve people. I want to know more about the Bible. I want to know more about Jesus. I want my, my faith to mean something, to come alive. And he says, serve people. <laughs> you see, the math in the Bible is a little different than we do math here for God, the, the way up is by going down. The way to be first is to become last. The way to receive honor is by not getting any. <laughs> and when we choose to faithfully serve Him, He promises reward. He promises a deeper relationship with Him. He promises a great standing among believers. But I think there's another promise that is held out in other places in the New Testament, and that is the reward of hearing our Savior say, well done, well done. You see, there's so many things that vie for our time and our affections and our energy and our money, and there's so many even good things that we can be doing. But to pursue God through serving others, that's often not at the top of our list but it's at the top of God's list. To be someone who says, how can I help? How can I bless you? God promises to reward. We're all at a different place in our race, but God calls us to run the race well and to the end. What a joy it would be when we look at our Savior face to face, not to hear, well, I'm as surprised as anyone, or you made it, but what about well done? What about well done, my good and faithful servant? That's what I long to hear. And I believe that those who serve faithfully by humbly serving others are going to receive that great reward. As we think about the role of a deacon, a deacon in a church is one of God's leading servants. Whether or not you have that title, we're all called to serve. Let's be people who are leading servants. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father,
Lord, would you show us how to be better servants? We can start by looking at the example of our Savior, the one who came not to be served and deserved more than anyone to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May we look long and hard at the example of our Savior, and may your Spirit empower us to faithfully serve you. However that looks, humbling ourselves to be willing to do tasks that no one else wants to, to walk alongside of people when no one else sees, no one else pats us on the back, there's no material or earthly credit we're getting, knowing all the while that you're watching, that you reward and honor those who faithfully Give of themselves for others. Father, we need the Spirit's power to do this. We need the Spirit's power to help us combat our pride and our self-centeredness and materialism and all the things that get in the way from pouring ourselves out for others. May we live lives of humble service, just as our Savior did. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. As Hunter mentioned during the announcements, we're going to have just a little brief uh, meeting here to let you know about an upcoming project. And so we'll give you a couple minutes. If you if you're, have to run or you just uh, soon not hang out, we'll give you a couple minutes to, to head out, and then uh, we'll, we'll just uh, share that. Again, it will be brief, but anyone's welcome to stay who'd like to.
We'll go ahead and get started here. As I mentioned, we'll, we'll keep it brief here. But uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we had, um, I shared that we were just praying about and considering a uh, children's building. And one of the things that, uh, one of the needs that has arisen here is we just have a, a lot of kids and not a lot of room to put them. And so we've, uh, we've got that on our radar and prayed about it. And as we sat down with the elders and the trustees of the church to think about how we, could, how we could best be of service to our kids, we began to talk about some of the needs that our current facilities have and thinking that we need to be good stewards of what we have. And as, as much as it's way more exciting to build new and to think about new things, we need to make sure that we're taking care of what we have here first. A few years ago, we also established a, a rainy day fund, which is, which is our... Um, our kind of our, our, our upcoming project and unforeseen expenses fund. And so we've used that over the last couple of years to put in a well rather than coming to the church and asking the church for finances for the well. Uh, we've used that to replace some air conditioning units and several other projects that have arisen. We also have coming up this spring some parking lot work that needs to get done and that fund will go towards that. But the fund did not cover, does not cover, uh, a, another huge expense that we have that's been coming down the pipe, and that is to replace our roof. Uh, the roof has been kind of, especially a number of portions of the roof are in uh, rough shape. Uh, the, the trustees have been working hard to patch some leaks and re uh, repair chunks of shingles that have blown off, and it's become apparent that we, we really need to address the, the roof issue and make sure that we take care of again, of our current facility. And so the trustees started looking at different, uh, getting some different quotes and some different uh, prices. We kicked around the idea of doing it ourselves. We've done that in the past, but we've ran into several issues um, with doing that. Um, we've had uh, at least one significant injury. Um, we've had uh, issues of just not always having, um, maybe having some ready volunteers, but maybe not folks who are real... Uh, um, familiar with, with roofing, and so I think that's run into some of our, our quality issues and some of the shingles blowing off, and, uh, and then also just the difficulty of getting volunteers to do a project of that size. We have a, a big facility and, and a lot of roof uh, footage, and, and so the trustees brought a proposal to the elders that we uh, hire this done, and so as we, we, we talked about it as two different groups and kicked around the ideas, we've decided to go that route um, because we're hiring it done, obviously it's going to be more expensive, but we want to make sure it's done well, done by someone who's insured. And so the cost of this project is, is, is high, uh, but it's certainly doable. It's going to be $150,000 to redo the entire roof of the building. As we talked about the project, um, trustees highly recommended we do this all at once rather than in different stages so that we have a roof that's the entire same age and we don't run into issues with, with seams and, and things like that. And so we are going to begin asking the congregation, asking you for uh, help in this project and uh, hope to do it, God willing, when the weather gets nice next spring. The, the trustees felt like we can hobble through one more winter, but um, wouldn't recommend, they did not recommend trying to get through another. Um, so um, I, told, I told a couple of guys, I threw them under the bus in the first service, but I've talked to them since then. But uh, some of our trustees have done a lot more work with regards to getting quotes and knowing some of the ins and outs of this project much better than I. So if you have questions, 
uh, with regards to any aspect of this, feel free to talk to Stacy Dysinger, to Mike Furman, or Nathaniel Farrell is one of our elders, and he's also spent a lot of time up there on that roof, um, uh, pricing out some things and engaging some things. So we just want to let you know what this is about and this thing that we're going to try to tackle together. And we'll have some information about it in the bulletin next week, a little flyer for folks who weren't able to stay today or were, were gone today. And again, um, those guys will be able to handle some of your questions better than I will when it comes to the ins and outs of the project and the, the detail things. But uh, um, Mike, Stacy, is there anything that you guys would add to, to the mix? Or any, anything I left out? Okay. All right. I was going to put... All right. Good deal. I was going to put their numbers in the bulletin. And, and someone in Sunday school suggested yeah, um, everyone just text them, okay. Just, so they get like, like 300 texts to just say, okay, got your number, you're good. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I it, having not had the uh, the history here, I've relied on a lot of stories of past projects, and time and time again, I've I've heard you tell me stories about uh, just exactly like Bill said, I thought this was crazy. There was no way we were going to ever be able to build this or take care of that expense. And time and time again, seeing God provide is a has just been miraculous. Um, again, we, we want to... Um, my heart is... is uh, I was I was excited about about taking this idea of a new building to our elders and our trustees, and I was at first kind of deflated, like ah, come on, let's go, let's go. But I I truly do believe that it's wise of us to take care of what we have first, and this is an important need. Um, and none of us want to be sitting here on a you know come in tomorrow after the, all this wet rain or whatever it's going to be tonight and find you know uh, drywall rotted through and things like that. Uh, so we do want to be good stewards of what we have here and now. Uh, but again, any questions you have, I mean, feel free to call me, and I'll probably direct most of them to these guys who know far more about the project uh, than I do. But let's just uh, let's just bow and, and, and pray and trust God uh, for for these funds and uh, for wisdom going forward. Heavenly Father, tasks like this do seem to be um, just monumental and, and sometimes a bit overwhelming, but Lord, we know that there's nothing, nothing that you cannot do, that you cannot provide for, needs that, that uh, only you can meet, and we look to you in faith and trust and ask that you would provide uh, for our church to be able to replace this roof and to have facilities that we can continue to minister to people in. Um, we know that this building is not the church. The church are your people. The, the church are the gathered believers. But this building helps be able to facilitate uh, many of the things that we do as the church gathers. And so, Lord, we ask for your provision 
uh, for your, uh, your um, spirit to move on the hearts of those with resources to be able to give and that you would um, just allow this to come in quickly. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Have a great afternoon, and God bless you.